This morning's reading is taken from Lamentations, chapter 3, reading from verse 1 to verse 24. Lamentations, chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He's driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he's turned his hand against me again and again, all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old. He's broken my bones. He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's walled me in so that I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's barred my way with blocks of stone. He's made my path crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became a laughingstock for all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He's filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I hoped from the Lord. I remembered my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet... This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Thank you, Philip, very much. Let's pray together now. For a tremendous passage from your words, wonderfully honest and wonderfully faithful. And we pray that you would speak to us through your words this morning to comfort, to help, to support, to give us strength for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I wonder, actually I'm just wondering what I've done with the clicker. <laughs> Anyone seen the clicker? <laughs> I picked it up from the back and now it's disappeared. So, uh, um, uh, Derek, could you just click for me while, when we go through? Oh, thank you very much. Excellent. How um, very strange. <laughs> I don't think it's any, in any of my pockets. What a good start. Anyway, um, what's the worst calendar year of your life. Now, for many of us, I guess that's 2020. Um, But uh, there could have been worse years, although 2020 was difficult, wasn't it? I think we'd all agree that. And in many ways, 2020 has been a real bereavement, a loss of uh, independence, maybe a loss of a loved one, loss of income, loss of church, loss of 
a job, loss of being able to sing together, loss of being able to see friends, loss of holidays, loss of Christmas in, in some ways. And here we go again in 21. Uh, and bereavement leads to grief, doesn't it? And it could be that as we go into 2021 now, that you are genuinely grieving. So much loss in last year, and now genuinely grieving. And it could be that you're, maybe you're just struggling to cope with all this. The anxiety levels are up, you're feeling really quite stressed. You are, if you're honest, a bit depressed, but you don't want to go to the doctor because you're kind of still of that generation that feels that's not uh, something that people should do. Uh, and uh, you don't like saying, I'm depressed. Although, in reality, you really are. Well, we've, um, last year we had mental health awareness as one of our top goals for 2020. Uh, and the little group there asked if we could have a sermon series on mental health. It got a bit delayed, but given the situation we're all in now, maybe this is uh, uh, good timing, after all, to have it just at the beginning of 2021. And I'm no expert in mental health. I'm not a counsellor. I'm not a psychiatrist. But I hope I can help us to see what the Bible says. And so today is the first of five sermons on mental health. And it's the first of five simply from Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations 3 has got 66 verses, so it's really quite a long chapter. uh, And we need five sermons to go through it, the first 24 verses today. I don't think I've preached on Lamentations before. Actually, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon from Lamentations before. But it is a terrific book, and this is a wonderful chapter And it contains that glorious phrase, for instance, like, great is thy faithfulness. Yes, like the hymn. In fact, that's where it came from. And we're going to sing it when I finish preaching. And Lamentations is poetry. It is pain-soaked poetry. And it's a model of how to react to hideous, possibly really hideous events in your life. If you were to go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, for instance, you would probably, maybe not at the moment, but uh, in normal times, you would hear Orthodox Jews reciting Lamentations chapter 3. Roman Catholics will go through Lamentations chapter 3 in the uh, final three days of Holy Week before Easter. And Lamentations 3 is an acrostic. It's got 66 verses. The Hebrew alphabet has got 22 letters. The first three verses of Lamentations chapter 3 begin with the first letter of the alphabet. Verses 4, 5, and 6, the second letter, and so on, all the way through. So it may be poetry, but it's carefully crafted, and it's carefully organized poetry. And although his name isn't in it, it's written by Jeremiah. And it's situated in Jerusalem, just after the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC. Now, what would it feel like to be in Jerusalem then? I think you ought to look at this picture. Because uh, this is Hiroshima, just after the bomb. And uh, I think, actually, that, I mean, horrendous as, uh, as Hiroshima is... And as as we see it there, that is, uh, uh, I think, quite a close parallel to what happened uh, in Jerusalem in 587. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, 
And yet, despite the utter destruction of the city, having been wiped out, not by a nuclear bomb, of course, but by an invading Babylonian army, in Lamentations chapter 3, we see hope in grief. And that's our title for today, Hope in Grief. And, uh, 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 and it's going to help us, I trust, to have hope in our own grief and losses and bereavement and so on, and also to be able to help other people. And there are two main points. First of all, to be honest. Second, to be hopeful. So the first main point is this. Ah, oh, look. Where was that? Eh? Oh, in my pocket. Oh, I was wearing a coat, wasn't I? That's where I put it. Thank you very much. So uh, uh, to be honest. To be honest. And that is the first thing. Now, The Hebrew title for the book of Lamentations is How. How. And in fact, uh, it is the first word of the book in chapter 1, verse 1, the first word of chapter 2, the first word of of chapter 4. And it's not uh, so much, how did he do that, as in David Blaine or someone like that, but it's uh, more, how can this be? It's an expression of shock. And we're about to see the value of being honest. Being honest with ourselves, being honest with the Lord, being honest, say, with your GP, being honest with a counsellor, being honest with a friend, being honest with your children, being honest perhaps with your boss. And being able to say, for instance, I'm finding this really tough. I'm not really coping, I'm afraid. Well, it seems to me that one of the very first things the Bible says when we're in a really difficult place and the first step to, towards wholeness in our mental health is to try to be honest. Now, that can be really difficult. That can be uh, uh, something that we edge towards over weeks and months and maybe even years. So it's not necessarily easy. And it can be actually excruciatingly difficult and something that we uh, may need some help, perhaps especially if you're a very private person. To be able to be honest and to say the things that you're struggling with can be really difficult. But uh, looking at the situation here, you can see the first one there, devastation. Listen to this. She sits among the ruins, slumped slightly to one side. Her elbow rests on the arm of her throne. Her gaze is turned downward in a resolute frown. Her aspect reveals that she has endured great suffering, a grief too deep for words, perhaps even for tears. Though the crown on her head gives her a regal air, she is despondent. The queen is carved in stone by William Wetmore Story in the 19th century. And it's in Pennsylvania's the Academy of Fine Arts in Philadelphia. The description at the base is this, Jerusalem in her devastation. It is a sculpture to portray the devastation that Jerusalem was going through after the Babylonians arrived. And perhaps the most significant aspect of the sculpture is a tiny serpent just on the ground slithering at the queen's feet. The serpent, of course, represents sin. The desolation is the people's own doing. And Jerusalem was devastated, absolutely devastated, by the Babylonian armies uh, in 587 BC. Um, And it was 
Jerusalem's fault. It was the people of God's fault. Jeremiah, the author of Lamentations, was there. He experienced it. He was one of the few survivors. But imagine you're there. Imagine you're, you're in Jerusalem. And it's in ruins. Jerusalem, their, their national pride, their temple, a center of their religion where they met with God. And now you look around and the temple's a pile of rubble. The city walls are gone. The ark, Ten Commandments, it's gone. The sacrifices for the sin of the people, they've gone. The priests who would conduct the sacrifices, they've gone. The altar where the sacrifices happened, that's gone. The people have gone. The great festivals where, where people would crowd to Jerusalem three times a year, they've gone too. And Jerusalem's a ruin. There's, there's devastation and Jeremiah is standing there. Look at verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. The Lord's righteous anger on his people's sin. And in this devastation, they realize that actually it's their own faults. And verses 1 to 20 here are just a brutal description of this devastation. But it's not just the devastation, it's, there's a darkness to this. Because God has done this. You can see that same verse 2. He's driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Or in verse 6. And actually, there, there's one word that comes in verse 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Then that one word is He. It's God's has brought this about, the author of this devastation. What darkness that brings to the land where the one who you saw as your Lord and your Savior has now brought such appalling devastation. God has brought this on you. It's been a very dark place. The rod in verse 1. It's a wooden club to control the sheep and now used on his people. In verse 7, just look at verse 7. This is dreadful. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. We think that's referring to the kind of imprisonment where you lock people up in such a small cell they can't even sit down and then apparently you die really quickly when you're in that situation. Verse 9, those blocks of stones, they're these huge blocks, probably, of which the temple was built. Verse 10 and 11, God has, has become aggressive, like a bear or a lion to his own people because of their sin. And there's much more description here. Verse 16 could be, uh, could be capture, couldn't it? Could be, well, it sounds disturbing, like Black Lives Matter. Heel on the neck, teeth in the gravel. Devastation by God of his own people here. Very dark place to be in Jerusalem. Well, terrible place. And Jeremiah is being very honest about it. And, and for you, well, we talk about, well, I'm in a dark place and that sort of thing, don't we? I could see no hope, no future. I'd lost everything. My world had fallen through. I was in a very dark place. Will that be you? Now? Would that be someone you're trying to help, perhaps, now? Please don't suffer alone. And please don't think it's foolish for grief to take you to a dark place. I remember talking to a single guy who'd lost his dog 
um, fairly recently, and he was really grieving, and he kept on saying, oh, I'm being, I'm being silly, Phil, I'm being silly. And I said, no, you're not. Actually, Englishmen, we love our dogs, don't we? And you can genuinely grieve over the loss of your dog. And he said to me, yeah, Phil, I think you're right. Devastation, darkness, and then desperation. Desperation, it all adds up. So when you get to verse 18 here, so I, so I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. That's desperation, isn't it? That's overwhelming misery. In fact, back in verse 15, the Hebrew that underlies the word bitter herbs is exactly that. It means overwhelming misery. And then there's despair, where we feel there's no future and hope's just evaporated. And the exiled survivors from Jerusalem, well, they would have thought just that. No hope, it's all gone. This is as bad as it gets. Now, can I say, please, if you're in a situation where, say, you've given serious thought to ending it all, if you've worked out how you're going to do it, if you've made plans, if you've got things together, if you know when you intend to do that, then please, please talk to someone. Talk to me. Give me a buzz. Or get in touch with the Samaritans. There we are. There's a number. 116-123. It's free. 116-123. Maybe you're watching this not on Sunday the 10th of January. You're watching this down the line somewhere. Maybe you're watching this sometime this coming week. If you're in that place, please dial in now. It may mean you need to turn off this video now. 116-123. It's free. Now let's look at verses 20 and 21. I'll remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Literally, the remembering there in verse 20 is uh, my, literally, it's remembering my soul remembers. And he's saying, I continually, vividly, deliberately, painfully, wretchedly remember. This is the remembering of a, of a broken person when it's pretty much as bad as it gets. And this is the important part about it. Because remembering can be medicinal, restorative, healing. But of course, you could well need someone to help with it. You know, remembering the bad news to be brought through the grief and to be healed. But you may need someone to help you do that. You may need a good friend. You may need a good listener. You may need someone professional. Someone who really knows what they're talking about to help you remember and to work through those things and to come to terms with them. And that can take a very long time. It could take years. And a hard journey on the way. But please, that is worth doing. The folks who do it will say, in the end, 
and the progress that you make grinding step by grinding step step is really worth it in the end. So if you need to do that, get some help with your remembering and stick at it. So that is uh, uh, being honest. And that can be really hard. It can be really hard, really difficult. And being honest is, can be really painful and take so long. But here also in this chapter, uh, there is an extraordinary thing here. When it's, and we're talking about being hopeful now. At Lamentations 3, someone has written this. They've said, uh, it's a pool of light in the midst of thickest darkness. And the pool of light starts here in verses 21 to 24. Um, uh, on my bookshelves, I've got the African Bible commentary. And uh, uh, there's uh, a guy by the name of Koulibaly. They have the best names, don't they? And, uh, and he's written this about Lamentations 3. Nothing is heavier than one's head when one is struggling. Raising one's eyes requires great effort, yet such effort is exactly what is called for here. The man takes himself in hand. He makes a decision, voluntarily affirming his faith and acts with resolution and determination, saying, I'm going to be hopeful. I'm going to look beyond the here and now. I'm going to try to look beyond myself and this overwhelming world. Perhaps you might pray that you could just grasp onto one positive thing, one positive thing, and just one good and positive thing. And here, verses 21 to 24 are beautiful. And here, Jeremiah makes this deliberate, determined, teeth-grinding decision to remember an act of the will, a conscious turning to God. And when you look at verse 21, yet this I call to mind. He's looking on to the next three verses. That this is verses 22 to 24. And this is brilliant and beautiful and staggering. And Jeremiah knows he knows it. He just needs to be reminded He needs to remember what he knows in his head and he needs to get it into his heart. There's no change of circumstances here. Jerusalem is still in ruins, but there is an absolute radical change of perspective. And what Jeremiah remembers, first of all, is this word hesed. It's a Hebrew word. Um, uh, It's in verse 22 there, the Lord's great love. That is the word hesed. It's a wonderful word. It's God's God's gracious love and faithful, compassion all kind of bound into one. It's, It's God's feeling towards us and it includes elements of his goodness and his truth and his forgiveness and his commitment to us and his persevering with his people. It is an extraordinary and wonderful word, hesed is worth remembering. And of course, we know the Bi- from, from the Bible, we know God's commitment to us pre- uh, preeminently is, of course, in Jesus. Jesus is the example of God's hesed love par excellence. So, uh, for God so loved the world, loved the world, heseded the world, that he gave his only son. That's God's covenant love. And, uh, and, and in Lamentations 3, 
you read them, some of, part, some of it here, you read it and you think, hang on, that's what Jesus went through for me, isn't it? So look at verses 2 and 3. He was driven away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. That just does seem to... That's, there are echoes there of Jesus before the crucifixion, aren't there? And you look in verses 14 and 15, for instance. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. They fill me with bitter herbs and give me gold to drink. Doesn't that sound like the crucifixion? Doesn't it sound like the passion of the Christ? You see that in verses 19 and 20. And in our bad days, we're not alone. And we know that we have a Saviour who has walked this road. So verse 22. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. It's saying, look about, look about you, Jerusalem. We're still here. Just, but we are still here. You've not been killed. There's a remnant. That is proof of God's hesed, his covenant love. There is hope. And the word compassions, in verse 22, it comes from the word for womb. It's kind of the depth of our Emotions, if you like. And his compassions never fail. And whatever we feel like, and whatever we go through, and whatever happens, and whatever will happen in the future, his compassions haven't failed now. Even in the midst of COVID, his compassions are still true, and still vivid, and still real, And they're still for us. And then there is faithfulness. Bound up with Hesed is God's covenant love and faithfulness intertwined. So look at verse 23. This is glorious, isn't it? They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's love and compassions for you renewed every day you wake up. Like that freshly baked bread every day or the bottle of milk on the doorstep as it used to be that the milkman used to deliver. These verses are worth, well worth, aren't they? Committing to memory. And and why not say them out loud every morning? Every morning this coming week, just read it out loud. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, these inspired Thomas Chisholm's Great is Thy Faithfulness. He, uh, he lived in the um, 19th, 30, 20th century, uh, and he wrote Greatest Thy Faithfulness shortly before he dies in 1960s. That's one of the more recent hymns. And uh, Chisholm once wrote this. My income has never been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me on until now. But I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God. And that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care, which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. And of course, his best known and best loved hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Circumstances, feelings, our mental health, how we feel about things, they go up and down, they come and they go. But we're told here to be hopeful because of the Lord's great love and compassions 
They never fail. They're new every morning. They are fresh every morning for you, whatever happens. Whatever happens today. Whatever happens this week. Whatever happens this year. God's love and faithfulness never, ever fails. Therefore, I wait. Verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, my, my share, my inheritance. And therefore, I wait. There are echoes there from Numbers 18.20, if you're making notes and want to look that up. Uh, and Jeremiah reminds himself here. So I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, my allotted portion, my share, my inheritance, mine, mine. I will therefore wait, trusting him, putting my hand in him, clinging to him, even in the toughest time. And when it says there, therefore I wait, in the original it's exactly the same as what he says in verse 21. Therefore, I have hope. Therefore, I have hope. Therefore, I wait. I wait because I have hope. I hope and therefore I'm waiting for the Lord. As one commentator said, I need to teach my suffering body to hope in him because he is my portion, my share, my God. Hope in grief, in loss in mental anguish. And those things are real, but they're not something to be suffered alone. For Christian people, we do have one another, and we do have our wonderful and great God. So please, be honest and be hopeful. Be honest and be hopeful. Because we have an extraordinary loving God, full of compassions, and they're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness.